0: Hello and welcome to Tell Me About It, brought to you by Nam AIDS Map, Radioville and Public Health England. It's a podcast where people with HIV and an interest in HIV share our experiences. It's an opportunity for us to talk to people who may know a little less about HIV, celebrate progress and learn from each other. Our lives are varied and diverse. There's no one way to be HIV positive. Every episode, we'll hear from two people with different perspectives. They'll share what they know and how their lives may have been shaped by HIV. Today, we're hearing from Simon Blake, OBE, and Matthew Hodson. Simon is Chief Executive of Mental Health First Aid England and Vice Chair of SOMOL, a lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender rights charity. Simon has a long history in the social sector working on social justice issues, primarily with children and young people. Matthew is Nam's very own executive director. Matthew is also an actor and has appeared in a range of projects, including The Grass Is Always Grinder. You can find him on a TL near you, posting gym selfies, smashing the viral closet and speaking openly about living with HIV. Hi,
1: Simon. How are you? I'm
2: very well, (laughs) thanks. How are you?
1: Um, I'm really good. Thank you so much for joining us for this, because I really wanted to talk with you, partly because it feels like our lives have been kind of circling around each other, Um, not just the fact that we actually both live in the same borough of London, but also (laughs) that we're kind of of a similar age group, and so I think we may have similar experiences. Um, But also, there's another thing which made me really want to talk with you, was because you work with mental health first aid and i think this i think we're both quite interested in the relationship between mental health and and full health you know, that it's really impossible to divide mental health away from health because it has such an impact on every aspect of your body, including disease progression and all of those issues. So that's why I really wanted you to be my conversation partner.
2: Well, thank you for inviting me. And I guess just as you were talking, Ruby Wax um, uh, uh, talks about our body and mind being a onesie. And it just is a really nice sort of visual uh, uh, description, I guess, of, of, of it. You know, we can't distinguish between the two and particularly of course when there is also stigma associated uh with you know, a disease or an, or an issue as with mental health um as there has been and still remains with hiv so i think yeah the the, the body the mind it's all part of the same thing
1: yeah absolutely now because i know that you actually worked for cardiff aids helpline back in was that in the 80s or 90s when when was that
2: uh mid-90s mid-90s, mid-90s. you're, 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 young, you're younger than i think you a are <laughs> bit. i'm 46 Matthew, but uh, uh so Such it was my, my first my first um my first post-graduation job actually was a gay men's outreach worker um i'd seen a, a program on the telly that talked about uh hiv outreach workers and then thought oh that would be uh, a, a good job to have and um and got the job at carly Bates helpline so I spent a lot of time talking about HIV, but at the time, of course, before uh, the sort of treatment that is available uh, now. And, you know, it feels like things have shifted considerably during that time.
1: Yeah. I mean, when I was quite young, um, I mean, like kind of before I turned 30, I, I dated a guy with HIV and that was before I mean, I was definitely HIV negative at the time. I was tested negative. Um, and this was before we had treatment. And so we were like, we were very serious about each other. We, we got engaged. I mean, even though you weren't actually allowed to get engaged at that time. And in my mind, I figured that we would be married and that then he would die and I would be a widower. And I was prepared for that because, because I loved him. Um, and, and it felt like that was actually just a part of our lives back then, that as a gay man in London, a lot of our friends were dying and it was woven into the fabric of our mm. lives. And I, I, I sometimes kind of struggle when I, I talk with, you know, with younger people now who didn't experience that kind of grief and that loss mm. because it was just relentless. And yeah, I mean, did <laughs> you find that?
2: yeah I mean it's it's interesting so I remember the first day that I saw the AIDS tombstone um advert like it etched in my memory forever and it was just at the time that I was thinking um you know or having not thinking having words to put to the feelings which had been around for a long time and I remember yeah then the Daily Mail um you know grew up in a family that uh that had the Daily Mail around you, know, you just see this constant sort of um uh images of 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 gay men as promiscuous you know as as awful as dirty as hiv carriers um and and i remember thinking gosh how do i get away from myself how do i get away from those feelings and then of course you know when first sort of come out and 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 all of those sorts of things thinking well i'm coming out now um, and i will probably die young you know, it was, it, was, it was a very, very transactional relationship with yourself and your body and, and what, what I understood and was seeing around me. You know, lots and lots of friends, colleagues and people I knew um, dying far too early. I, I, I mean,
1: my experience was, was a bit different because I actually first had sex, consensual gay, gay sex, before HIV was ever talked about. But it was the same week. So I, I went out, I decided I'm going to ha- I'm going to have myself some of that gay sex that everyone's been talking about. So I went out and I went to heaven and I had the gay sex with, with, Someone who was uh, an American man. He was a, he was a photographer. Heaven and, the nightclub, right? Heaven the nightclub. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was so naive. I was so naive. I mean, it, you know, because I, I bought a copy of Time Out to find out where to go, and it said it opened at nine. So at five to nine, I was standing outside there, queuing up, waiting for it to open. Um, you know, and it had, it said in the Time Out. The guide that said, you know, it's, oh, it's full of cr- clones, and and I assumed that clones were people who dressed up like David Bowie because I mean that's obviously the most important thing, and it was very <laughs> cruisy. So I thought that people were going to be dressed as sailors. I mean, I was so naive. <laughs> it was quite daft. Anyway, because I was fifteen at the time, um, which I thought was like, oh, no one's going to find me attractive. I mean, yeah. Well, the whole issue of sexual abuse, which I think we should just leave aside for the time being, it was absolutely consensual. I clearly made a decision to be there. Met this guy, went back to the hotel, blah, 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 blah. I Don't need to go into those details. And then the following week, there was a documentary on television. It was a Horizon documentary called A Killer in the Village. And it was the first documentary to be shown about HIV on British television. Mm-hmm. And and it said, you know, there's this disease that's going around and it's killing gay men. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way you will acquire it is if you have sex with an American. And I had just had sex with an American. And I thought, I am so screwed. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this is it. Like, first time, and I'm out, I'm done. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was quite
2: a challenge yeah uh, well but it's i mean interesting isn't it how specific it was you know there was gay men and if you had sex with an american you know and 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 so yeah i think i was probably four or five years between seeing the first advert you know relentless you know uh, uh tv news coverage daily mail sort of bit before i actually had sex with man but I guess what I thought in that moment was not you had to be American but you just had to be gay because then you would make it you know, it didn't matter if there was no virus present before you had sex the act of of having sex I mean I was you know I, I, I was Cornish from am saying parents in the same house that I grew up in right now actually as we as we do this no internet you know, had to get the one bus a week um to Plymouth to to steal my copy of the Gay Times you know and 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 that was the only sort of uh, uh, sort of positive bit. So by the time I got to university, yeah, goodness knows what was going on in my mind. I mean, I'm probably still unravelling unraveling it now, 30 years later, because it was just relentless—the sort of the homophobia, the 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 hate uh, that used to, um, the hatred that was there. You grew up knowing that you were awful and bad and dirty and not to be trusted Yeah, you know is you know, i'm actually surprised as i'm saying it out loud actually how how strong it was you know in, in that sort of bit it's a, you know obviously i hope i've worked through most of it now but yeah it was it was relentless
1: i mean so i obviously because i was a bit older than you so i was at university when that iceberg and tombstone advert came out so it was my first year at university and also at the same time we had section 28 going onto the statute books um and i don't know i'm mean, I, I, I was kind of thinking about the relationships i had back then and and you know obviously kind of growing up gay at that time it was very different because it was so socially unacceptable mm-hmm. and so section 28 which was introduced and this was the this was the conservative government of the time under margaret thatcher saying we cannot allow local authorities to promote homosexuality as a natural thing it clearly needs to be discouraged these are not real relationships they are pretend relationships Mm -hmm. and obviously that was a horrible pernicious piece of legislation and it was actually one of the first pieces of legislation which was actively anti-lesbian as well because Mm -hmm. lesbians had kind of gone a bit under the radar in terms of legal inequality um, although armed services and some other some of the other laws but it certainly they weren't named under age of consent um mm. if i'm right but in some respects i think it was kind of quite ultimately quite good for the gay community because before that my memory of it is that 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 we were kind of like a bit oh well if you don't if you leave us alone we will try not to bother you we kind of we wanted to be a bit under the radar mm. but then when that happened our rights were being attacked it was like I know that for me, I was like, I can't be silent. I can't mm-hmm. pretend that this isn't happening. And so I was, you know, I, that was, that's actually when I came out. That's, I, I was like, well, I need to be open about being gay because the government is attacking me and I can't fight back against that while still hiding in the closet.
2: Mm-hmm. so i was like it's interesting isn't it I just how slightly different age uh, groups so my first activism was about hiv prevention so our students union realized that um that there was no sexual health awareness so we set up shag which is a sexual health awareness group and the strap line was are you dying for it um and we got some funding from what was then the local hiv commissioners i think it gave us two and a half thousand pounds and we printed a load of t-shirts and bought a load of red ribbons and a load of condoms and we yeah you know, I guess now it seems like it was you know of course we did that but at the time you know the the student newspaper was writing about it people were not happy about what we were doing and and of course suddenly you've got a load of people who are walking around university campus saying sexual health awareness yeah you know, are you dying for it wear a condom you all of those sorts of things and it was very very visible in transforming campus and it was later That I, when I was at the National Children's Bureau, actually really understood the mechanics of the legislation around Section 28 uh, and around the age of consent and was involved in trying to repeal those then. But what the research showed in terms of the well-being of teachers, but also the fear then of talking to children. And of course, what Section 28 did was created silence uh, about anything positive at the same time as HIV was creating a lot of noise about what was seen to be you know, a, a killer uh, uh, virus, and so yeah, I guess the the, the the long-term effects of that we we know, you know, the the levels of of of, of abuse of individuals and in relationships, you no know, self-abuse, whether that's alcohol, drugs, you know um, uh, and we you know, you know, I, if you look back and think about the number of friends lost to suicide or to alcoholism and various things as well yeah. You know these are all not necessarily attributed to specific things but they are about the invisibility and 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 Matthew Todd in his book just really summed up which is you know at the time that I wanted to get away from myself I realized I could never get away from myself or, or something that sort of sense of you know that, that you just wanted to be able to get away from this thing which everyone was saying was awful at a point that you're trying to develop positive sense of yourself and your well-being and and I don't think we'll ever be able to quantify the harm that that, that history, that period of history um, has done to people and the intergenerational trauma um, that still uh, exists. You know clearly, things are very different uh, uh, now, but yeah, we know that children are still growing up being bullied and hurt because of who they are, know um, yeah, and, and that's you know, true of yeah, lesbian gay. Uh, by such transgender sexuality around racism you know it, it, it's just so shocking that we can allow this damage to be done to people at such an early age
1: yeah i, I do find it interesting this kind of this idea of generations of of lgbt people and you know I, and certainly you know for my generation the trauma the major trauma we went through or my perception of it certainly was was aids was the level of death and I, you know sometimes kind of you know i'm talking with someone who's in their 20s or early 30s and i can see that they find it quite hard to comprehend how many people we lost um and sometimes you know they're really interested in that history and sometimes they're not interested in that history because it's uncomfortable and it's difficult and i get that i absolutely understand that because i mean you know i guess when i was that that age I had the generation before me who knew the time, you know, before 1967, who knew that pre-legalization or partial decriminalization time, and Mm -hmm. some people would be interested in those stories. And I know I was fascinated. Other people Mm -hmm. would be like, no, we're we're fabulous. We've got gay pubs with windows now. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. this is kind of the big, exciting thing yeah um uh and 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 so obviously the decriminalization of homosexuality was like kind of, you know, a turning point i think uh aids was a turning point but i also look at the younger generation now and i go well you're you've got your own traumas i think chemsex has also it's a bit been a bit like aids for the next the next generation because a lot of people have died including people of my generation i've I have friends who who survived AIDS and have since I, I, I know of three people who have uh, who are of my generation but who have died as a result of chemsex use mm. and I wonder sometimes if there's a link that, that that trauma that we went through does kind of lead to perhaps some kind of embrace of of wanting to get out of it. I, I know that yeah, I mean, obviously in, in the 90s and you know, we had kind of rave culture and and that was a big thing for the gay scene and you know, we were all That's off. <laughs> I mean, fortunately I was really into musical theater I didn't really like the music. So <laughs> um <laughs> so I think I think my 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 life of um, you know, drug-induced hedonism was was curtailed by the fact that I just had no rhythm. Um <laughs>
2: But who knows what might have happened to me otherwise? I mean, the, and I mean, there would have been some uh, raise. Maybe it was just growing up in in the southwest, where you yeah, know the musical theater and some of the music at, at the raise was pretty pretty close, actually, Matthew. So I'm sure there would be some <laughs> some tunes that you'd have been able to shake your hips to. But the I think the bit which is is interesting about yeah, there might be the public thing, which is 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 defined. So whether you talk about that being chemsex or being AIDS or being section 28 but the bit which I really noticed having spoken I you know, did quite a lot of, of of youth work um with gay young people and 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 somebody in the family now who's who's just come out is that that fear of yeah, you know, just that, that almost universal experience of being bullied or have feeling othered you know, feeling different and feeling separate and I was talking to to somebody fairly recently who just said that he'd you know had really grown into himself yeah, having gone away to university and then had been left crying and, and hurting um, when one of the people that bullied him at school had been at the same student union. And I was like, if it's any comfort, yeah, there will be a whole group of us who see certain people who just put you right back into a place. And they don't have to say anything. You don't even have to be really, really close, but just seeing them or being uh, reminded of them. And I so I just think there are some things which are which are just common until we get to the place where people are genuinely treated as equal, where there are not assumptions. I mean, how many times have you come out this week? It's boring. It's really boring. And it's, you know, that I had to say someone the other day um, that, yeah, you know, I didn't have a wife. There was no indication whatsoever in any of the conversation. And all they did was was just marched on as if they hadn't spent the last 10 minutes say, talking about she and my wife, just because I said, you know, my, my partner had the car was in uh, in their name uh, you know so but I think until we get to the point where the visibility the the comfort the acknowledgement the 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 you know we accepting as you know that you might go out with boys or girls or nobody or or everybody uh, you know then we will have those bits of trauma because you are not seen as usual and when you're not seen as usual you don't feel Usual, as we go through that sort of brain development, as we go through our understanding of who we are.
1: Yeah, I, I saw something the other day. Someone was saying, I, "I've got no problem with homosexuals, but I don't understand why they have to make it such a central part of their character." And I'm like, "You don't understand. Heterosexuals make it a central part of their character. They just don't realize they're doing it, but they do it the whole
2: time." <laughs> do you remember the um, Terence Higgins Trust campaign? Um, I hate homophobes, especially when they flaunt it uh, or something <laughs> something like that. I mean, it's just just brilliant. If you don't, I, I've got a copy here. My, I'm, I'm, I'm with my mum and dad at the moment. So my mum's dying and we've got an archive, which my mum's collected over the years and just found um, that, that ad recently. It's just brilliant because it was turning on its head, that whole notion. And yeah, anybody who believes that heterosexuality isn't everywhere clearly hasn't lived as anything other than heterosexual.
1: I know that you know that one of the mottos by which I try and live my life is from Dolly Parton, um, uh, who said um, the trick is to work out who you are and then start doing it on purpose. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's definitely, that, that's something which I, I use the whole time. And it's about not compromising about my sexuality in, in, even in the public arena. I mean, I'll talk about sex and I'll talk about gay sex because it's part of me and why should I feel embarrassed or apologize for it? And it's also the same with my HIV status. If I make it a shameful secret, then it becomes a shameful secret. But if I just talk about it and normalize it, then I hope that I can start to shift people's attitudes. Because really, this isn't like a terrible thing for me. It's it's actually just a part of my life. Mm. And the more I own it and the more I'm kind of proud and open and shameless about it, I, it actually has an impact on the way I feel about it as well. Because I think mm. there is, there's that real sense that not only do you experience stigma from other people, not only do you have that fear and that ignorance which you face from other people, but you internalise it. I know that I felt such shame about being HIV positive that I couldn't talk to my parents about it. I could not talk to my mother about it. Mm-hmm. And when I was, I mean, I was actually outed to my mum. I mean, mm-hmm. shockingly, a journalist called my mum up and told her. I'm which, so sorry that happened. Which led to a very awkward conversation, mm-hmm. um, and it was it was it was a tough time for me mm-hmm. and for my mother but once I had got through that I was like okay I now there's no one else I'm worried about finding out and so I can tell everyone and that became for me kind of quite a transformative moment because I realized how much of that internalized stigma I'd been holding on to and when I just let it go my life got better everything got easier
2: well, and I'm sorry that the journalist did that. And if you think about how many people had all sorts of experiences of being outed or, you know, and, and the fact that it's outing, you know, is, 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 is yeah, these are, these are our uh, experiences. They're your experiences. They're yours to own and to share as you want to. And I, you know, I, you know Matthew, I, I think yeah, you know, all of your work around smashing the viral closet and all of those things, just, yeah, absolutely brilliant. So I want to say thank you to you for for doing you and everybody else um you yeah, know that has been involved in transforming attitudes i also just want to say that i had a dolly parton tribute band at our civil partnership and that my dog is named dolly because i think otherwise um it would be uh, uh, remiss of me to to not uh, to make that connection that dolly parton influences our lives in all sorts of, of ways but wait, but i think yeah we know don't we from mental health from hiv from abortion from homosexuality that it's secret secrecy which is the problem it isn't actually the thing itself it is the secrecy the shame the fear the stigma will somebody find out will people think less of me um what will happen if i yeah if if, if, if x happens or y happens and you, know, you spend your life second guessing and when you spend your life second guessing you become vigilant about you know when you're going to be found out and then you stop living your life yeah, yeah and, and and a life that is lived in fear of being found out just feels, yeah, you know, to me is not one worth living and and to the moment when I came out to my mum and dad yeah, uh, you know, at that, that time my literally my mum had never met a gay person um she's always been absolutely lovely but you know I knew and and I of course I'd worked it out bigger yeah you know, because at that time uh nobody had had a successful coming out where there wasn't an issue at the at the first stage but I really clear and I'm very close to my parents but actually I would rather live my life as me with people who loved me for me and as me than to spend my life hiding telling lies the telling lies that comes and it's like then and for me yeah I grew up a good Methodist you know telling lies was the worst things I was starting to hate myself for lying but I was lying because I was worried about other people so all of that sort of piece I think you know is so important that you can't live your life as your life until um until you accept your life and own your life and take control of it
1: and it's that thing about being fully present and i think it's also very pertinent because like when we talk about diversity and you hear people kind of get it wrong and they kind of talk about diversity like it's something which you adopt to make people feel good and it's like actually it's not about that It's actually about getting that wide range of experiences and perspectives because the broader the range of experiences and perspectives you've got to look at a problem, the more likely you're going to find a creative solution. Mm -hmm. So that's why we have to celebrate who we are, you know, whether that's HIV status or gender or sexuality or ethnicity. If you bring yourself into the room, you bring all of yourself into the room, we're going to find those solutions faster
2: yeah and uh, at mhfa england we've uh, got a campaign called my whole self which is about the workplace and about workplace cultures but recognizing that we won't do our best work we won't actually solve you know, uh, how to treat cancer we won't find covid vaccines if people are sat looking over their shoulders you know all the time you won't you know we won't do our best work whether that's serving people or writing things you know if, if, if we're all the time second guessing whether we're going to be um found out and you just yeah you know, it's interesting isn't it my chair will say diversity is a fact inclusion is the act that we you know have to do so when people talk about diversity and inclusion Ada's really clear that yeah you know, diversity just is you know it's it's our inclusion it's our sense of belonging that we should be working for and I yeah you I know, just think yeah you know, for people who who are uh, who are worried about um coming out talking about um things you know it's it's you know trying to just get that sense of self confidence and to people around you to to grow into your skin to to just find people you trust to help you grow the confidence because if that confidence has been knocked out of us whether that's about talking about sexuality talking about the sex that we want talking about HIV status whatever it is if that confidence is knocked out of us how do we rebuild that confidence to become whole in order to take the next steps to yeah, and it just it it just feels so passionate because the hiding, hiding from yourself, learning to not love yourself because other people are not uh, as actively inclusive just feels just desperately, desperately sad state to be in. Yeah, and I, I always see these parallels
1: between being open about HIV and being open about being LGBT, and I that, mean that's why I call it the viral closet. Um, and, and 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 I mean it is one of those things with you know people coming out of the closet as lesbian or gay or bisexual or 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 trans i mean often you it's 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 interesting how rare it is for someone to say they regret that Mm. you know considering the amount of trauma people go through the amount of fear they have about it actually almost all of the stories ultimately have happy endings Mm. and actually i find the same with people who kind of Take the courage, have the courage to be open. I would say, you know, find the right time for you. Make sure that you've got someone who you are confident will support you. Do it in your own time. Don't rush it. I mean, just as coming out as LGBT. But I would also say, generally, you'll probably find that people are more supportive than you expect. You know, and I don't want to kind of paper over all the cracks. I mean, you will encounter people who will be scared. But the more we talk about better life expectancy the more we talk about the fact that when we are on effective treatment we can't pass the virus onto our sexual partners mm-hmm. the more we talk about all of these changes in hiv the more we dispel that kind of monolithic iceberg and tombstones and the images of tom hanks in philadelphia or jared leto in dallas buyers club and that's how we change attitudes and that's how we tackle stigma because we tackle stigma by sharing information mm-hmm. and we tackle stigma by empowering people
2: we do and through visibility don't we yeah it's, it's i i just always have a, a love yeah my mum yeah, grew up in, in in cornwall and you'll know it's yeah very white and we're very working class and all sorts of you yeah, know hadn't had huge amounts of experience I remember the civil partnership just seeing him in the middle of this group of diverse people with diverse experiences some people well I'm not actually going to say what some people but just looked at my mom and just thought you know life is so much better as a result of being able to stand with confidence in the middle of this circle of people and um, because it's much more exciting than when we've got everybody like us but I think your point about confidence and about yeah you know, is that without visibility we don't make any progress and that's why it's so important for people who feel able to and feel confident to, to be talking about HIV status, to be talking about sexuality, to be talking about mental health, you know, to be talking about uh, uh, different disabilities or different life experiences, you know, whether that's abuse in relationships, whatever it is, you know, if we, you know we're we all perfectly imperfect and we all have histories and baggage and life stories. And and actually those life stories are what what is you know, the fabric of, of of our being human, thing of death at the moment. I as I said, my mum's dying, and and we know that. But when you talk about it, you, know, you see people just going, "Please don't talk about it. Please don't talk about it. We don't talk about these things." And and it's like actually that doesn't help anyone because we all go through all sorts of scenarios, and that's you know, these sorts of conversations, Matthew, are, are so important because somebody somewhere will be listening, um, and something that is usual for you because you've become confident over time in talking about you know, your status, your sexuality, uh, et cetera. Um, somebody will take something from that and it will just give that peace for people to take the next step forward because we're all muddling through. Yeah, that's all, all in my view anyway, we're just muddling through and getting up in the morning, going to bed at night and hoping that we um, yeah, hoping that we don't hurt anyone along the way is, is sort of, what, well, that's what I do anyway. <laughs>
1: I, I I well, I hope people are listening. I hope people are listening to you, Simon, because you are such an inspiration to me. You are always so strong and so positive and 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 so honest. And that's why it's been such a joy to have this conversation with you. Thank you, Simon.
0: Thanks for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the topics that Simon and Matthew discussed, email infonam.org.uk or follow us on Twitter at AIDSMAP.